映画ナイト。
It's positively tragic, but a large bulk of films made in the pre-war period, even early works from lauded masters like Ozu and Mizuguchi, are lost due to poor preservation technique and easily destructible film stock, destruction by the Allied forces in the occupation uh, from like 1945 to 1952, I believe, or other, or other uncontrollable historical circumstances. Large swaths of the industry's history are lost to the sands of time. But if we want to be technical and pedantic and give you a proper history of horror in Japan, the earliest surviving film that could be considered horror would be uh, Kinyugasa Tenosuke's surrealist A Page of Madness from 1926. Made as part of an avant-garde art collective, the film is presented as one man's expressionistic journey into an asylum where his wife has been committed. Film filled with disturbing imagery pulled from no theater and an overpowering ethereal mood that borders on the oppressive, Kinugasa's film ostensibly counts as Japan's oldest surviving horror film, from at least from my preliminary research. Whether or not it is a canonized J-horror film depends on who you ask. I mention it here just for history's sake. The first boom of J-horror did come in the immediate post-war period, however, with two notable releases uh, that still are not considered part of the canon, but nonetheless get brought up a lot when we're discussing the history of horror. Uh, Mizuguchi's Ugetsu in 1953 about the seductive ghostly charms of a no noble woman's spirit enticing a poor potter, uh, which was based on Akinara Ueda's book of the same name, and of course, Honda Ishiro's Gojira in 1954, which I'm assuming you already know what that's about. Undoubtedly, these are films tinged with horror elements, but canon J-horror begins proper in the 1960s with the aforementioned Kwaiden, Nakagawa Nobu's Jigoku in 1960 about the horrors of Buddhist hell, Shindo Kaneto's Onibaba in 1964 about two women who kill soldiers to steal their possessions, Kuroneku by the same director in 1968 about wrong spirits murdered by samurai during the war who take their revenge in their ghostly form, and just adjacent to all this, Ishii's take on the island of Dr. Moreau with 1969's Horrors of Malformed Men. These films begin to emphasize sinister atmospheres and an ambiguous boundary separating the realms of the living and the dead, formal and thematic concerns which would define the genre for decades to come. What we know as J-horror all kind of started to form in this decade. Horror would take detours the following decades through bad taste with cheapy monster films, spooky erotic pink films, and grotesque gore pictures that led the genre grow stagnant until the inexplicable boom of the late 90s. Not much is available or worth pulling from this period, for our discussion at least, except of course um, Obayashi Nobuhiku's hilariously surreal Haosu in 1977, the underappreciated gore fest that was Ikeda Toshiharu's Evil Dead Trap in 1988. Evil Dead Trap is an, an amazing name for a horror film, I just wanted to really bring it up for that reason alone, and the horrifically exploitative torture porn series infamously known as the Guinea Pig franchise from the mid-80s through to the 2000s. I, I I don't suggest you watch that last one. I mention it here because it has an importance in a history sense. That's not, apology f that's not an apology for it being utter misogynistic trash. I just wanted to be thorough. But now, we've finally reached the most important period of Japanese horror, and if we're being honest, one of the most influential periods of Japanese cinema, period. The coming, of, the coming of the video market in the late 90s was what really got J-horror, as we understand it today, underway, with the seminal releases of the first Juwan films by Shimizu and Ringu by Nakata, both in the climatic year of 1998. 
With these two films and the films that followed, here is where the, quote, centrality of isolation, alienation, and emptiness that defines Japanese horror cinema of the post-war period became combined with theories of identity that came with the bursting of the bubble economy and the rapid technological advancements of the period, quote, as horror historian Colette Bellman relates it. Those same emotional dilemmas that felt the nation after a failed global war effort were now reconstituted in an existential era of crisis where the notion of our of Japanese-ness was suspect for many citizens. The period film was neatly expunged from the genre, and now terror was to be found in the modern, isolate settings of urban spaces, places where the family unit was disrupted and feelings of lonesomeness were common despite the dense population. To further quote Bailman here, Horror was no longer a traditional prestige endeavor. Now in the futuristic world of 1998, you could go to the video store and make a double feature out of Shimizu's Juwan prequel Kazusumi and Oika Artaru's adaptation of Junji Ito's infamous Tomi. And the film's content rightfully reflected that aggressively modern existence. Yet those traditional cultural ties which we set up earlier in this episode weren't fully severed. Juwan and Ringu established the thematic recurrence of the Yurei figure from mythology, a black-haired, white-clad, often feminine spirit who seeks revenge after departing the material world of the living through acts of intense emotion. Uh, represented by the terrifying race uh, Sadako and Kayoko in these films. Think a culturally specific monstrous feminine a la Barbara Creed. These two films could also be attributed with inspiring the new trend of these hauntings having a viral, almost infectious quality which follows and clings to its victims no matter where they go or what they do. In the Juon films, The Curse, The Grudge, and so on, the brutally murdered Kayako and Catlight son Toshio haunt the sight of their husband and father's jealous crime and afflict anyone with the misfortune to walk into their home, such as future tenants or social workers, ostensibly innocent people. In Ringu, the spirit of the murdered psychic Sadako lives on to take revenge seven days after her hapless victims have viewed a tape she created through rage and psionic energy. It makes more sense watching it than saying it into a microphone, believe me. This hapless nihilism and sense of inescapable fate is what scholars share at Pings as a rejection of the social transformation long embodied in Western horror films, and uniquely specific to Japanese horror. In these films, if the ghost is coming for you, it is only a matter of time, because that's just the period we are living in. Ringu also introduced a malevolent technological aspect, a sensation specific to the culture of Japan and how, quote, communication technologies work negatively in walling off and isolating individuals, essentially making them more susceptible to the unexplained through separation. Films like Sonoshian's Suicide Club in 2001 about a rash of unexplainable suicides afflicting the youth of the nation through J-pop-centered chat rooms, Kurosawa Kiyoshi's apocalyptic pulse in 2001 about a literal ghost in the machine afflicting all who log into slash onto the quote-unquote dark web. Or Mike Takashi's One Missed Call in 2004 about a spiritual force prophesizing the deaths of unexpecting teens through cell phone calls. Though hackneyed nowadays, especially in the West, these films nonetheless use technology as a locus for all of our existential dread to such effective ends. The mid-2000s were the most prominent years of J-horror, reaching a point of global saturation which has never been reached for the genre before or since. Not only did the wave of American remakes bring Japanese horror to the forefront of the global consciousness, but around the same time, J-horror became an identifiable label domestically, both for audiences and the industry alike. For example, producer Ichisei Takashike corralled together six young directors working in the genre to create the film series J-horror Theater. 
films like Infection, Premonition, Reincarnation, and Retribution all came out within the second half of the decade because of this plea for money by one lone producer, all pushing the genre to a new frontier with new fresh talent leading the way. Horror was financially stable to invest in, and Japanese producers were prepared to wring as much capital out of this phenomenon as they could before it dragged up. All power to them. Which isn't to say it was all derivative of decades-old styles, god no. Throughout these times, fresh and exciting ideas are being tried out now that there was finally interest and opportunity to do so. Films like Mikei Takashi's frightening torture-heavy character study, Audition, uh, Kurosawa Kiyoshi's impossible-described serial killer drama, Cure, and Tsukamoto Shinya's cyberpunk body horror, Tetsuo the Iron Man, all were happening at the same time Nakata and Shimizu were solidifying the tenets of the genre. Far from being monolithic and derivative, the developments of J-horror as its umbrella term has allowed so many interesting facets to manifest in the industry. And you know what? I think this is where I'm going to leave it for today. Uh, the genre hasn't so much gone stagnant as it has trudged along, much like horror out here in the West has endured decades upon decades of subgenres, movements, and critical reevaluations. Recent developments in J-horror, like the effects-heavy gore comedies of Iguchi Noboru and Nishimura Yoshihiro, uh, the latter responsible for Tokyo Gore Police, the former for Zombie Ass, The Toilet of the Dead, and the sudden adaptation of popular creepypastas and schoolyard stories like Carved the Slipmouth Woman and Teke Teke, deserve more specific episodes at later dates, and I just wanted to give you a broad generalization of what J-horror is. I'll leave you with some recommendations, not of the ones that will help you understand the genre completely, more a curation of my personal favorites. So, here we go. Suicide Club by Shion Sono, Audition, Mikei Dakashi, Kuroneko, Shindo Kanada, The Original Ringu, Nakata Hideo, Dark Water, same director, uh, Kwaiden, Kobayashi Misaki, Uzumaki, Higuchinski, Evil Dead Trap by Ikeda Toshiharu, Juan The Grudge 1 and 2 by Shimizu Takashi, X-Day Hair Extensions by Sono Shion, Vengeance is Mine by Imamura Shohei, and Rampo Noir by multiple directors. Before I sign off, I'll acknowledge my sources real quick. Uh, most of what I pulled from came out of Colette Bailman's Introduction to Japanese Horror Film, the most comprehensive, the most comprehensive history of J-horror to date that you're ever going to find on the market. There was also Japanese horror films and their American remakes by Valerie Wee, uh, Nightmare Japan, edited by Jay McCroy, uh, Japanese horror cinema by Jay McCroy, uh, The Monstrous Feminine in Contemporary Japanese Popular Culture by Rachel Dumas, and I think that was everything. Uh, I cannot recommend these texts enough if you want a full picture, something an amateur podcast like this just can't do. So, uh, that's going to do it for today. I hope you enjoyed this little jaunt through the history of J-Horror. Uh, make sure, if you like the episode, you share it around, review it favorably, and, and check us out on Twitter at Agonite Podcast, Facebook, same name, WordPress, same name, Agonite Podcast, and whatever podcast platform you listen to. I have been Chris Lucy Antonio with the fitting Twitter username at Cinema Creep, and take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.